Well, good morning. Salem, great to be here with you. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at uh, Salem. So I want to add my welcome to all the welcomes that have been extended so far, and as well, uh, welcome anybody who's joining us online. We're, we're glad uh, to have you guys here uh, this morning. Before we dive in, uh, I want to just uh, continue to express along with uh, many others you've already heard this morning and this past week, uh, just condolences for Pastor Cal and his uh, family. Um, Pastor Cal was a vibrant, if you never knew him, a vibrant, vibrant man, just full of life and energy, and you did not walk away um, but leaving encouraged with him, and just an incredible, uh, wonderful guy uh, who's had a big part even in things here at Salem and all across uh, the, the nation uh, and, and even the globe. And so um, we, we mourn him, but to celebrate uh, the impact that he had in, in this world and in this life. So uh, one of the things I loved about uh, Pastor Cal was his, um, his tremendous passion uh, and uh, devotion to the next generation. Uh, you know, so he was constantly investing in kids, and, and uh, you might have heard that, uh, or you did here this morning from Kent, that uh, the youth group went to the national conference this week. I got the privilege uh, to be able to go with, and so I'm still trying to decide if I'm excited or tired, one of the two. I'm just somewhere in the middle. I'm here uh, this morning, um, and, uh, but it was just an incredible, inc- just, just awesome, awesome experience and time with these kids, seeing thousands of next-gen orations next generation people come together and link arms around the name of Jesus, singing songs, serving, and learning. It was absolutely uh, incredible. And it was interesting to me, um, and and this is just funny, the way that God kind of works these things together at times, is that the challenge theme was called There Is More. And on our preaching chart that we created a long time ago, it was the idea of more. So that's what we're going to talk about in Proverbs this morning. So this is the way that God makes it work. So I want to start um, by sharing a few things from this conference, and we're going to play a very quick game uh, called More or Less, okay? Are you ready? So I'm going to show you in the image, uh, and uh, wait, hang on, okay, sorry. I'm going to show you an image, and then here's, (laughs) yeah, I know, right? You already know it's goofy, okay? So um, and you're going to tell me if you think it's more or less, more, thumbs up, less, thumbs down than the number I give you, okay? First picture uh, is a, uh, a very tasty, scrumptious-looking um, McDonald's chicken nugget. To some people, this looks like a tooth. Uh, others, it might look like a minion. Uh, and to some others uh, who maybe are in the younger generations, because maybe older generations don't know this, but it might look like something from Among Us, okay, which is a popular game on, on phones. Um, and so uh, this um, happens to look a lot like many of those things, but particularly the Among Us. And so uh, somebody decided that when they got this in their, their chicken meal, thought, this is great, I'm just going to sell it on eBay. So thumbs up. Thumbs down, more, less. How many of you think this chicken nugget sold for more than $600? More, less, more, or less. Down. Lots of downs, lots of downs, a few ups. Uh, don't hold me to it because I could be wrong. I think this sold for $12,000. Yeah, yeah, okay, don't worry, it gets better. We got one more, okay, right? This is the chicken nugget, right? Here it is, this is, this is handcrafted, 
handmade, handcrafted armor for your at-home special Lester the guinea pig, okay? Handcrafted. I don't know what you do with it, but it's there. Um, more or less than $10,000. See, many of you guys learned your lesson <laughs> from the first time, right? You're like, there's no way it can be more. And so now you're like, it's got to be $24,000. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this is the reality of the world that we live in. What fuels, uh, you know, like, and I don't know who bought those things, and so there's no shaming here, right? So I don't know uh, who paid for them, but clearly somebody saw these items and said, I have to have that. So much so that I'm willing to pay $24,000. Like, like, what do you even do with this? I mean, like, you can't move. Do you buy one for, like, every guinea pig in your house, and then you put them and line them up like an army? Like, what do you... Like, I have zero clue. Halloween. Halloween, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. So, like, this is, this is bizarre. It's bizarre. It's absurd to me, and yet this is reality. So here's the deal, right? Uh, more, the idea of more. Then when you think about this, something is, something's value, like, we, we like to think of something's value determined by its value, but the reality is that something's value is actually determined by how much somebody else will pay for it, right? Which goes to show that there's something fundamentally powerful in our culture about this idea of more, wanting more. And this doesn't need to be a guinea pig. Like, this could be an Xbox. It could be, it could be uh, a new dress. It could be whatever. Like, and I know this, this feels maybe a little cliche, but I think it's important for us to talk through these things because not, not every sermon we talk about is more, right? This is just one of the things we need to talk about every once in a while because this is deeply, fundamentally, intrinsically woven into the culture in which we live, okay? Now, here's the, here's the thing. I want to ask this question. Right? I want to ask you this. Well, I want to. Yeah. Okay. I think through this. How do I make sense? Okay. Um, I'm just going to come to this. More. The concept or the idea of more in in today's life and in the world and the reality in which we live in is an incredibly powerful narrative. And I want to ask you this question: Why? Why do you think that the idea of more is so powerful? Because when we think about more, we oftentimes think that's bad, sinful, it's wrong. You know, um, the reality is, is that's not true, okay? So, we come back to our um, handy board over here. Um, this, is, this is in uh, Hebrew, so this, if it doesn't look like English, that's why. Um, and, and the reason being is because I want to show you here in a second why, why understanding the Hebrew here is significant and important. Because if you go back to the beginning of the story, if you go back to creation, right? There's a character who is the primary character in all the Bible story, and his name is what? It's God, right? So this is God. This is actually the word Elo, Elohim, so you read actually from right to left in Hebrew, so if you, uh, this will actually make it easier for me from back here, because I can write left to right. So Elohim, Elohim is the word for God, okay? Um, and he's the primary character in the story. Down here we have Adam, um, right, who is, is mankind, it's how we label uh, mankind, um, man and woman, uh, and just because, so as we look at this, you see, like, here's God and all of his perfection, all of his majesty, all of his glory, and here's man, right? And man is good. Man is created in the image of God, and that's in a very special thing. But because you and I always need to be humbled, don't forget this. Uh, the word Adam, which is where we get Adam in, in the Old Testament, right? Adam, Adam, comes from the word Adama, which means ground, 
So God, in all of his amazingness, invites a being into his creation by creating him from what? Dirt. Right? This is our origin story. And yet what he does is he creates this amazing, beautiful being called the human, in which reflects the image of God. Right? And here's the thing, though. So mankind, in, its, in his original state, in the garden, before sin ever enters into the world, before chaos and brokenness, any of that, right? Adam and Eve exist in this perfection. Now, perfection means that they are morally pure. It means that their soul and their heart is clean, it is righteous, it is holy, and is untainted from anything that is wrong. That's human beings, okay? But here's the thing. Human beings in their perfection are not or were not created full. And here's what I mean by that, okay? Is that it's not like God created Adam and Eve, placed them on the earth, and said, great, now life, life will never get better than this. The reality is, is even though they lived in perfect creation, mankind was designed to what? Constantly pursue more of who? God. So more, the idea of more is actually intrinsically woven into your DNA, into your spiritual DNA. That's a good thing. And so here's the thing. When you think about desire, our desire for more is rooted in our design. We want more because that's how we were designed. We were designed to need and want more of God in this, in this constant pursuit. So prior to sin, that's a driving factor in, in the world and is the co- in the cosmos. But then enters in Satan into the story, right? And, and I don't know, guys, how, to, do, how to, to draw Satan. Like anything is cliche and super inadequate, so I'm just going to do it, you know, like the little tail and the little like horn thingies. Because like how else do you do it? Right? This is entirely in, in, inadequate, and it's very cliche, but as Satan, in the form of like the serpent, you know, as he enters into the story, what does he do? He tells and weaves a lie, and the lie is so powerful because it's rooted in humanity's design to want more of God. Humanity is designed in the image of God and perfect, but we're designed to pursue and to want God more and more and more. And so Satan enters in and he has this brilliant but subtle tactic. Brilliant but subtle, okay? So as he enters into this story, this is why it's brilliant, okay? Because when he starts weaving this lie, he says, you will surely not die. Here's why God doesn't want you to eat that, because when you eat it, right, your eyes will be opened and you will be what? like God. So here's what that's communicating. There's a gap between you and God, and humanity knows it, God knows it, Satan knows it, and what Satan does is that he's going to bridge this gap. He's going to bridge this gap. And how, here's how he does it. This is why it's brilliant. He says, you don't need to wait for God to give it to you. You can take it for yourself. That is the brilliance of his strategy. He covers this entire like theological, spiritual gap in one leap to say, you can just have it if you take it. It's brilliant. And it's no wonder that mankind fails in this moment, because they really didn't even know any better, right? It's brilliant. Here's why it's subtle. It's because here's the word in Hebrew for God, right? Elohim. The word like, ding, that's it. 
It's super subtle. So have you ever met, you ever been around somebody who is just manipulative with their words and they can like weave an argument and, uh, and they, can, they can like weave right past a word without you noticing it? And then you get to the end and you're like, wow, that's wow. Wait, what just happened? That's what Satan is. He takes you and he goes, you will be like God. But it's one letter in Hebrew. One letter. It's so subtle. It's so simple. It's like he whooshes us in and we get sucked into this part. I will be like, who? God? Whoa, I want that. Right? It's so simple and it's so subtle that he weaves us into this lie, right? And so as Adam and Eve, as they choose disobedience, what happens, we know, is that the world shifts into chaos and brokenness, and everything is flipped upside down, and we're in this broken relationship with God, and it's kind of like gravity, the spiritual gravity. We were designed to pursue God, but now everything wants to come back to man-centered, right? And it's hard, like you have to jump out of gravity, you can't get away from it, right? And so everything now focuses in on man. And so our need for more things or more of whatever it is in life is now amplified by our sin because we were designed for more. Guess what? The things of this world and whatever life offers to infinity will never satisfy in the same as this. We know that, and yet our heart constantly buys into this lie. Over and over and over, we buy into this lie that we can skip past all of this and we can be satisfied like God in all of his amazing perfection if I will just take something for myself. It's brilliant and it's incredibly subtle and it's like gravity and it works towards man. It's all about us. But here's the deal. Here's where wisdom, you're like, why are we doing all this? Because wisdom in Proverbs, this is where wisdom comes in, right? Wisdom is an attribute of God himself. And so when he designs mankind in his image, he has now woven wisdom into your DNA as well. And wisdom is like an invisible force that counteracts gravity that's constantly pushing us back towards God to say, recognize and understand that there are these two narratives in the world and one comes from him and the other comes from him. And so wisdom is constantly pointing us towards a new reality, to this new gospel, which we will finish with. But do you see these things? Do you see? We're designed for more, right? And so our desire for more is good because we are designed to do it. But look at the nature of the human heart. Look at this verse in Proverbs 27. It says, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man, okay? Here's where it just keeps going, right? Sheol and Abaddon, which are these, these metaphors for death, right? Death is never satisfied. It can never have enough. There's never enough death to satisfy death. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. You see, it's this constant, constant, constant thing, looking, wanting, desiring more, which is a good thing, and Satan constantly enters into that story. Here's the beautiful thing is that wisdom, because it's designed, because we're designed in the image of God, because it's an attribute, any person can interact with wisdom, but it starts with the fear of the Lord which is how then it points us to a new reality. This is outside of man. 
Wisdom is not found in you, and the answers to life's greatest problems are not found in you. They are found in the Lord. And so then Proverbs then is not about ethical living. It's not about good morality. It's not about behavioralism. It's not about just living a good life and doing life in in the right manner. It's actually Proverbs are constantly pointing us to that new reality, that there is a way in which we can operate in the world that is out of the correction and the beauty that God himself can ultimately own. Only bring. That's the story. And that's what Proverbs is ultimately pointing us towards. And so here's my question to you as we start, as we dive into this, right? Is the question. And this is, guys, this is woven into everything that happens in your day from beginning to end. And at the end, we're going to challenge you to look for this specifically because it's hard to see where the idea of more gets woven in. But there's this fundamental question. What do you and I each want more of out of this life? And how are we going to get it? And it might touch some sensitive parts in our heart because it might touch some things that we don't want to see touched in our life. Let's dive into Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Um, what's going to happen is this lesson is going to unfold and it's going to start with this, this before, this during, and then it's going to end with the end result at the end. So verses 8 and 9, here's what it says. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. I don't know about you, uh, but when I read that, um, I, I, I find that, at least, at least on surface level, I find that a little unattractive. And it feels entirely inadequate. Okay, this is, okay, this is how you're starting. Yep, just do, just don't, don't let go of the instruction. Don't let go of the discipline, right? Okay, that's it. That's all you need. Okay, I want to point out a few things that help us understand the depth of what's happening actually even in those few verses, right? What does he do? He says, here, my son, right? So don't forget that this is relational, right? And don't forget, right, that a father in talking to his son, and this is the way it's going to unfold, it's like a father talking to his son. In reality, this is appropriate for all ages. It's not just from parents to kids, but we're going to talk about it in that framework, okay? So, a father talking to his son. And if you think about this, a father, as he's about to see his son embark into the world, what he's doing when he says these things is he's thinking through all of history of this young boy, because that father would have been there the moment that child came into this world. The first breath, the first cry, the first crawl, the first walk, the first word, right? The first time that they rode a bike, the first time that they learned how to swim. There's really only one time you can learn how to swim. Just realize that, right? When they learn how to swim, when they learn how to do anything in life, their first home run at a ball game, right? Their very first, um, like, uh, recital that they just knock out of the park, right? There's all of these relational things that have happened up until this moment. So as the father says, my son, he's thinking about all of history that exists between you and him. And it's beautiful. It's incredible, 
right? It's this beautiful picture of a father and a son. We know that a family is a primary unit in all of society, and it's not just for how society functions. A family is important for how we understand God, because later in the New Testament, what do they do? They talk about how marriage and and mutual submission and sacrifice and serving and unconditional love and forgiveness is all part of a marriage, and that's how he uses that image, that symbol, that representation to declare and show the goodness of who God is and how he interacts with this world. Family is tremendously, tremendously important. And here's the other thing, though, right, is that you're talking about it, you're also recognizing and acknowledging that as a father has talking to a son, this is not the first time he's given him instruction. It is a lifetime of instruction from moment to moment to moment through all of life's challenges, this moment and here and here and here and here. It's a lifetime up until that moment of wisdom, the first time that a kid has a struggle with whatever it is, and then the next time, and then the next time, and the next time, it assumes that the godly parent, the wise parent, is entering into each and every one of those moments and having conversations with their kids. How many of you, um, I mean, and and please don't do a show of hands here, because I don't want to know, honestly. but here's the deal. Like, how many of you would think that this is actually wise? Like, like your, your daughter comes home, she's a freshman in college, and she comes home and says, you know, hey, Dad, I've got a new boyfriend. And you say, cool, do whatever you want. Wise? No? I don't think so. You know, like, I've got a four-year-old. Here's what I would say. What's his name? What's his middle name? What's his last name? What's his uncle's name? Does he drive a charger? Does he drive a really fast car? Because I want to know. What's his grandma's name? What's his dog's name? I want to know everything there is to know about this boy before we even consider if this is in our boundaries. Right? Like, there's something to do. Like, like get this. Like, it's, it's also like, if you, if you were to to raise a kid, right, and you for, for 17 years or 18 years, you raise a kid, and then you let them do whatever they want for all of life, and they can just live life, live life, live life, and then you can assume that when you drop him off at college, you give him one good sound of advice, and then he's good for the rest of his life. No, it requires this moment to moment to moment to moment wisdom that intercedes in each of those times, Right? Guys, like, that's why parenting is so hard. I find this is so challenging, right? And if you're a parent, you could probably say amen to this, right? Because at the end of the day, I have so many struggles in my life. And every, and every choice that I make in life is affecting the character that I'm building in myself. And then we have the decisions that Nikki and I make together as a couple that are changing our character together, right? And all of a sudden, God's like, cool, cool, coach a kid alongside of you. You're like, I have so much mess inside of me. Right? It makes parenting so hard because now you're, you're talking about the decisions, that, that, that this, how wisdom plays out in life, not just in my life, but in the life of my family. It's about keeping my, my heart and mind focused on God's voice in His narrative because that's what I want my daughter to ultimately hear. And so he says, do not forsake that. He says, don't let go of that instruction. Don't let go of a lifetime of that and the unconditional love and all those things. Don't let it go, right? Don't pack that in the box that you know that your mom and dad want you to take to college, but that you're never going to open. Don't put it in that box, right? 
Take it with you. Keep it. Hold on to it. And when you do, you will be victorious and your life is going to reflect beauty and you'll be more satisfied in life when you heed that instruction and that relationship. I I remember a time uh, in my life uh, when I was dating this girl. It was not uh, a super healthy uh, relationship. And, And I remember my dad and I was like, you know, I was kind of like entering into the world in this new space. And I thought, man, like I just, like I was blind to certain things. And, and my dad just saw some of this in me. And I remember him sitting down with me and just looking at me in the eyes and saying, Seth, here's what I, here's what I think you need to know. Your heart right now is just caught up in pursuing this girl. But here's here's what you don't see, is that it's totally affecting how you pursue God. And I was like, I don't even remember what teenagers say to their dad. I was probably not nice. (laughs) Like, go away. (laughs) Yeah, that's as mean as I ever was as a kid, you know. Go, go away, dad. Yeah. Um, And I was, I'm sure that I didn't want to hear it at the time, but over time it began to sink in, right? And it changed my perspective. And I knew that he was right. There's two voices in the world. I wanted more of something and less of the other. And the reality was is that I needed to reorient my priorities. And that was the wisdom that I got from my dad. So that's all before. That's everything that happens from a lifetime of parenting. Look at the during, verse 10. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You see, I want us to just take a step back here for a second and remember that from the larger perspective, the larger story of the Bible here, okay, remember that while the Bible begins with perfection and ends with eternal perfection, the bulk of the Bible describes life the way it is, not the way that life ought to be. That's why we don't exactly know, or there's at least debate about what heaven will ultimately look like, right? The Bible tells us it's this realism perspective. This is the way that life is in all of its brokenness, in all of its desperation, in all of its chaos, and this is who God is and how He's interacting with the world in order to make things right. That's the story of the Bible, right? But it's about the way that life is. And so what happens here in this moment, even in verse 10, is He acknowledges that there are people in life These people who are labeled sinners, which is probably just kind of a a gross word for some of us to wrestle with, what he's saying is that there are people in life who will be adamantly opposed to the narrative of God. There will be another voice in this world, and that voice is going to continue to woo, woo and swoon you towards that voice. And what I love about this, though, even in just verse 10, is that it shows us how important it is for people of, of older generations to sit with people of younger generations and to say, here's what I think you should know. And that's super important. Uh, you guys may um, have heard some of these um, different types of parents, and I don't want to generalize people, but here's just three different types of parents uh, that you can read up on. Um, one is called the helicopter, right, when it's just like they, they're letting their kid go into the world, right, and yet behind them you find this helicopter, or maybe a drone is a better language now, you know, and it's like this idea of like we're watching, and whenever you get into trouble, we're there to swoop in and get you right? Um, there is the Velcro parent, you know, who is like just at the hips and, and everywhere a kid goes. And then there's the snowplow, right, who, who looks at life in front and says, gosh, there's a lot of uh, obstacles and entanglements in front of you, so I'm going to remove those, kind of like walking through the Red Sea, 
and you can just walk, walk easily. Now, here's the deal. A wise parent knows that every single one of those three is necessary at times, okay? Necessary at times. But a wise parent also knows that that can't last forever because we can't protect our kids forever, right? What we need as parents is to acknowledge that life is missional, right? And, and to shelter our kids from the world doesn't help that, right? We need to be able to sit with people with the next generation and say, this is the way that life is, and here's what you need to know about it. Because notice that he doesn't say, I mean, he does use the word if, but what he's communicating is that when this happens, when this happens, right? Life isn't going to be great. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be struggle-free, right? Um, Right? Not everybody's going to like you in this space and in this world. And it says, when that happens, here's what you need to know. Right? And I love, I love that we just kind of came out of John 17, and, and Jesus there in that moment, he says, as he's leaving the world, what is his request? Does he say, God, take them out of the world? No. He says, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. He says, I want them in the world, but here's the deal. I want them to be in the world, but I want them to live sent in the same way that I was sent. And so Jesus' prayer here is, to, is this, is that in the midst of the narrative of the world that it is telling that we would be in that but not of it because we would be pursuing the narrative of God as we do life. That's the prayer. It's this missional thing, right? And check this out. He goes on in verse 11. He says, if they say, or when they say, rather, right, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let, this, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, and whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us, we will all have one I want to just share three quick things uh, from, from those verses that you guys can take home and, and wrestle with, because this is the voice of the world, okay? Uh, and the first, the first thing is this, is that it's oftentimes very subtle. Now, it sounds counterintuitive that, because when you read that, that sounds very uh, overt, right? Like, and there are voices in the world that are saying those things, but for most of us throughout life, when was the last time somebody said, come, let us lie and wait for somebody, and we're going to steal everything they have? right? Now, that does happen. That does happen. But for many of us, oftentimes what we hear is something far more subtle, right, in this life, because that word enticement is the idea, and we'll talk about this more next week, is a form of seduction. It's the sweet, sugary invitation that lures us in, that says, oh man, I really want that. That sounds really, that sounds really good right now. And it's this enticement and it's pulling us in, which can make it really hard and difficult to spot. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie um, Last of the Mohicans? Anybody? Okay. It's a somewhat older movie. Um, and uh, this is before like CGI, before they could do things. And so uh, I remember this, this piece, uh, this moment at the end of the movie. Uh, and it's this guy who is racing up a mountain and he's chasing the bad guys because the bad guys have the woman that he loves, right? So it's natural. He's running and he's moving and he's just, you know, huffing and puffing. And he comes around the corner on this mountain as he's running up the trail and his left elbow hits the rock, the mountain, and if you watch it in slow motion, here's what it does. 
Whoop, 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 whoop. And you go, huh, that's not what rocks are supposed to do, you know? Like, that's weird, right? Oh, that's because it's not real. That's because it was a cloth, right? And it was made to look real. So we started calling it the jiggly rock, right? And here's the thing. You, you had to watch it in slow motion because that's how hard it was to spot. That's how Satan's lies are in life. It's almost like you have to slow down time and to watch for the jiggly rock, to see where is this not right? Where is this not real? Because the best lies are 99.9% true. And they're subtle and easy to miss. And wisdom, as it's woven into our DNA, says this inside of us, as it's calling out to us, says, pay attention to the subtle things. Pay attention to the, to the jiggly rocks in life where you see it, and it's easy to skip past, but to go, wait, time out, pause, reverse, rewind, that's not right. And wisdom then calls us as people then to humbly choose to not follow that voice, but then to redirect and follow the voice of the Lord. They're subtle. Second thing is this, it's relational right? He says, would you just come throw in your lot with us? It's, this is checking off all the boxes. It's like, hey, we're going to be best friends. We're going to hurt people, but we're going to have fun together doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's relational, and it's desirable that way. And the last thing is this. It's, it's fruitful, right? It's very fruitful, right? They say, we're going to fill our houses with plunder. That's fruitful, right? Right now here, it happens to be by violence, you know, which is a voice. And there are people that will take things by violence to fill in their own home, right? We, we know this. All we have to do is watch the news, right? We know that this is the thing, but it also happens in life through nonviolent things, right? How many of you guys are like me, um, and if you open up your phone and you open up Amazon Prime app, think about how that is communicating more, because the very first thing it says, recommended for you, and I'm like, dude, they know me. <laughs> they know that I want more things for my Jeep. They know that I want that book. They know that I want whatever it is, more paraphernalia like Michael Jordan things. I would love that. I'd love to fill my home with that. Just take it. Satan says, just take it. Just take it. Just take it. Just take it. Again, I'm not bad things but they can redirect us from the voice of God. Um, it's also not just things, right, online, or it's not just those things. It's also just a quality of life, isn't it? How many of you guys uh, enjoy watching Netflix or Paramount or any of those? Okay, show of hands. Yeah, okay, cool. You're not participating. Awesome. Um, I know that you do. Um, here's the deal. My wife and I were just wa finished watching this, this show called Seal Team um, on CBS, and uh, we were slowly watching our way through it, and the other night we, we got to the end because we'd only watched half an episode, and we hit, hit replay for the next one or whatever, and it shows up, and then it says, like, wait for next season, and we were like, no! <laughs> I want more! Like, it was this moment of panic. I was like, tell, like, I need to know how the story ends. I need to let it. It needs to go. It's this quality of life. I read this this week, and I don't, you guys can disagree or agree, but, but let this just sit in your heart for a second. It said, if imitation is the highest form of flattery, then Christians have become pop culture's most devoted admirers. Is that true? Have we bought in with ways that we don't even see? Have we bought into the idea of more? 
Is that who we are? Do we acknowledge and see how that is true? Check this out as this begins to wrap up here, right? Verse 15 through 18, he says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. He says, my son, here's what I want you to know. You hear these voices, and you're going to be drawn in, but if you were to go up, and if you were to like see from the, from the bird's eye what's happening, what you're going to see is that all of these people, in all of their cleverness, are just walking right into a trap. It's like watching a movie where you know what's happening next, you know what's behind the door, and these people don't know, and they want to go in, and you're like, don't do it, don't do it. They did it, right? Because it's about the bigger picture, understanding what's happening, right? I want to give you just three things here that uh, I think stem from the voice of wisdom that are, that are counterintuitive and help us wrestle with this. First one is that it's relational. Notice that he says, my son, over and over and over because when you read this, it's as if sometimes, the, this is the nature of the human heart. You can just read about the nature of the human heart, and you can find your heart following it. It's like almost like you can find yourself captured in that moment of like, yeah, I can see how that's happened. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I, want, I want those things. I want those things. I want those things. And he says, my son. My son. You ever put something in the microwave uh, for like longer than you remember, and all of a sudden it dings, and you're like, oh, that's right, it's there, Right? Like, that's what is happening here. It's that he's constantly saying, my son. And he's acknowledging that there's two voices. One voice is that sweet, seductive, luring voice. The other is the compassionate, unconditional love. And as you're getting sucked into it, he just says, my son, my son, my son. And he invites him back into true relationship over and over again. The second thing is this. Notice that wisdom's thing here is knowledgeable. They understand what's at stake. They understand what's happening in life. It's different for us in today's world because life is changing for the next generation. Technology has advanced the world in ways that, that we as maybe parents and older generations don't fully understand, right? But we need to understand. Don't just look at it and go, that's, that's dumb, okay? Know it. Here's what I want to give you right here. This is a picture of something that we as a church have access to. It's called Access, okay? Um, and, uh, and it says connecting parents and teens and, and Jesus in a disconnected world. You're like, I don't know what Snapchat is. Cool, go check here. You're like, I don't know what Instagram is. Cool, go check here. I want to know more about gender, trans, uh, gender dysphoria, transgender, um, any of those types of things. This has great resources, so don't allow yourself to not be knowledgeable, about these things, because what they're moving into, what the next generation is moving into, is going to need your wisdom. I need people's wisdom as we move forward. And the last thing is this, is that it's proactive. Notice that he doesn't wait. He says, he doesn't say, oh, no, it's already happening. He says, when that happens, he sits down and has those conversations. It's good to be ready to handle those conversations when they happen, but having them ahead of time is better, because here's the result. Here's what can happen. Here's what the possibility is at the end. Verse 19, he says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You see, the life that the world offers does the exact opposite, and we know this. 
We know that this is true, and yet we oftentimes don't see how powerful that narrative is running through our own stories. And there's these two voices, one that says God and one that says the world, right? And we have to choose which one do we want more of and how are we going to get it? Because what Satan's lie is that it's subversive. He says, if you want more in this life, you just need to take it, which is the opposite of the gospel. Because the gospel says in all of God's beauty, in all of his design, he says this, I've already given it to you. I've already given it to you. This is what Satan offers, and this is what Jesus offers in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so there's this fundamental question, what do we want more of in life, and how are we going to get it? Here's my question to you. What if getting more in this life is not about taking it, it's about receiving It's about taking what God has given us, already given us, and learning to find ourselves wrapped in the love of Christ. I'm going to end with with these things. Um, In John chapter 4, it just reminds me of this story, as Jesus is at the well with this woman, and she comes to him, and she has gone after more and more and more men, husbands, all these things, houses, right? And here she is having this interaction with Jesus, and here's what he says to her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. That's the promise for us in the midst of the temptation. More is such a powerful narrative because it's a part of our design to long for more. But what do we want more of and how are we going to get it? I want to give you this challenge as, we, as we're done and we can invite the worship team up. Challenge is this. I want to challenge you this week because I know this is cliche, and we don't talk about this a lot, this idea of more in American culture, but it is important. And I want to challenge you to look really hard to see the jiggly rock things, these subtlety things in the narrative of life in yourself, because I bet if you look hard enough, you'll find it everywhere. And the same thing with the world, right? Look for it in the world. And here's the last thing is that I want you to meet it with the gospel because as simple as this lie was with Satan, the simplest way for you to re-divert to the voice of God is to bring back in the gospel. It's all you need to do. And it's powerful. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we wrap up this morning, Lord, there are, there are many different stories at play in this place. And there are a lot of different things that we're wrestling through and a lot of different narratives that we've been pursuing. And for many of us, we, we have seen those as really good. And maybe they are, because that's the reality, is that sometimes Satan uses really good things to distract us from you, because not all things are bad. We are designed to want more. But Lord, I pray that for us in our church, for us as a collection, but each of us as individuals, that we would begin to see with greater clarity the, the ways in which we, you might be calling us to long for you more, to dive into the gospel and to see its transformative work in powerful ways that leave us more satisfied than we ever could have been in anything else. Or we make us like the woman who is at the well, who once she heard, left and told everybody. Or we love you and you're going to be pray. Amen.